la 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 all right gang happy friday Woo! all right packed house very 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 packed house so really appreciate it i think there might be a couple more seats in here so if someone wants to sit down you have a couple minutes here to to find a place so uh really appreciate everyone and the energy talking to everyone uh, a lot of a lot of great uh, questions i know are going to come out in the last 10 minutes uh, so, how many people know Zurb? I know some of you may not even know Zurb. Zurb's been around since 1998. We're a product design company, and we've been hosting this soapbox for, I think, seven or eight years now, and uh, presenting uh, uh, great speakers and people that have uh, interesting things to say. And we're very fortunate today to be able to welcome Katie Dill. <laughs> Electric audience here. I know there are a lot of people here just to see you, Katie. Katie uh, is the head of uh, experience design at uh, Airbnb. She recently led the charge on the design overhaul that they uh, recently uh, put up. And I know many of you use uh, Airbnb, and so you'll have lots of great questions about that. She's also taught at uh, California College of Arts in uh, interaction design, or yes, interaction, interaction design. Uh, and she's also worked in a consultancy frog design, which many of you. Uh, are also aware of. So she is a New Yorker, so she has transplanted to the uh, West Coast, and we appreciate that. As a New Yorker, she brings a, a, a flavor of uh, openness and opinions that I think you'll find <laughs> are refreshing, and uh, I certainly appreciate that. So with, uh, without any more, uh, let's welcome uh, Katie. Thank you. All right, so uh, as, as part of uh, you know, just introducing you, I think lots of people like to understand we're, you know, successful people don't just kind of arrive at success. There's a, there's a story behind a story to get yourself to a place to, to be able to do these types of things. And so your past is kind of interesting. It started in history, right? And I know many people out here are still trying to figure out, what am I doing with my career? Where do I go? Uh, so how do you go from history to experience design? Uh, maybe just talk about like that transition <laughs> going into industrial design sort of is that middle middle place in your, your education. Yeah. I, growing up on the East Coast, I had not even heard of design until after I graduated college. Uh, maybe interior design, uh, maybe fashion design, but the idea of product design just didn't come up um, on the East Coast. And I was in college and I wanted to know why things are the way they are. And that's why I got into history. Love the little stories about you know why buildings are the certain shape that they are, that you know a culture is a certain way that it is uh, because of the spices that grow there, something like this. Uh, so I studied history, and while I was doing so, I did a study abroad in Florence and fell in love with architecture, and realized that yes, history is great, but the whole the story of the building and the way that people interact with it, um, and just the art form was so exhilarating that I wanted to get into architecture. We didn't have architecture at the school I went to, which is Colgate in upstate New York. Uh, so I finished out my degree and then immediately moved to Boston to try to get into architecture. Uh, so I started looking at internships and started looking at the schools. And actually through that process, talking to architects, I started to fall out of love with architecture. <laughs> actually very similar to what we were talking about upstairs in your experience building this space, is that it just takes so long to do anything. And, I, as a New Yorker, perhaps, but I am way too impatient for that. And the idea that you know something I'd work on would take five years to see built, I, I started to realize that maybe it's not the right profession for me. And just alongside of that, my roommate saw the 60-minute special making the shopping cart. 
Has anyone seen that one before? That video just keeps going. It's oh, like yeah. 20 years later. And it's oh, yeah. Still <laughs> I mean, the design is kind of ridiculous when you look at it now, but it is uh, definitely a quintessential uh, piece for product designers. So I highly recommend you look it up if you haven't seen it. Uh, but it talks about IDEO's process about designing the shopping cart. And my roommate at the time knew about the little inventions that I would make around the house, like just trying to solve problems with whatever I could find, and recommended that I look into industrial design. And so I did, I started talking to industrial designers and learned about this profession that to me was the dream job. It was the thing I liked to do and didn't even know you could get paid to do it. Uh, so I asked around, like, how do I get into this? I had zero portfolio uh, and you know, no design background whatsoever. Uh, but people recommended I go to school. Uh, Art Center College of Design in Pasadena was highly recommended. So I went out there, I talked to the people that like, you need to have design work. And, I didn't really have that, but I had a, basically a book of ideas that was mostly written out in words. Uh, I don't know why they let me in, but I'm very <laughs> glad they did. Uh, they took a chance on an unknown thing. Uh, and so I went to Art Center for four years and studied industrial design, which you know, was all about solving problems. And so you know, going from history, which is like, why are things the way they are? And you know, the next part of that question was like, well, why can't they be another way? Um, and that's what I got to do in industrial design. And that's kind of how I started out into the design world. Right. There's a small part of me in that uh, IDEO video, which you'll probably all search. If you haven't seen it, I was actually working at IDEO. I didn't get into the clip, though. I had <laughs> video, so now every time I hear it, I'm like, I didn't get in it. Oh. You know? <laughs> so it's sort of like that, uh, you know, everyone talks about it. I'm like, God, they didn't put me in it. You're like, uh, hand is in the background. Or something. <laughs> well, yeah, was, you know, I did a brainstorm for it, so it was, it was fun. Uh, so we're going to talk a little bit about Airbnb and your experiences there. Um, and, and talk a little bit about sort of the different um, environments you've done design in. One of the ones that stuck out that I, I saw was um, venture design. So I know a lot of people here are interested in, in business and there's lots of uh, um, thinking on how design fits into to companies. Uh, just sort of in that progression because you've had some background in history and whatnot. It seemed like you did that for a little bit. Maybe just a little bit on that. I'd yeah. be curious to understand what, what that is and why, yeah. why you took that path for a little bit after doing some work with, with Frog. Yeah. So I was at Frog for five years, um, and I left there as a creative director. We were working with basically Fortune 50s, uh, really big companies. They're almost like oil tankers that you're trying to help like shift the boat a little bit and go another way and you know, build a product that's user-based. Uh, exhilarating work, and I'm sure we'll end up talking about that a little bit too. Uh, but at that time in my career, I was very interested to start working with uh, earlier stage companies where they had the opportunity to bring design in at the ground level um, and actually use design thinking to help them build their business, to build their strategy, and really bring design thinking into the core of the way they were doing things. Um, so wanted to work with early stage. Uh, and one of my uh, colleagues, a, a former boss of mine at Frog, had gone there in advance and basically wooed me over to this company called Green Start. Uh, and so Green Start was a very interesting twist on a VC. Uh, basically, they raised a fund and they invested in startups with design services and received equity in return. Uh, so a very unique business model, a very difficult business model, uh, but basically gave us an opportunity to work with these really young companies that normally wouldn't have had the opportunity to afford design, especially at you know, a higher kind of caliber, a more expensive caliber of design. Uh, and I was only there for about a year. 
it, there, you know, it definitely was a challenging business model, and actually we were kind of designing the company while I was there in terms of you know, exactly how do we slice it. You know, do we also give them money um, in addition to design services? Uh, do we take money for our services? You know, a lot of these questions were coming as we were kind of perfecting that, that new model. Um, but the other part of it was that you know, I think there's the fact when you're working with serial entrepreneurs, and our founders were serial entrepreneurs, uh, they liked starting things. And so two years into Green Start's history, you know, they wanted to do another thing. Uh, and so I think that also had something to do with why Green Start eventually you know, went a different way and just kind of stayed as a fund and, and didn't continue right. on the path that it was on. Uh, so that's when, when I left, is that basically Green Start was shifting models so much so that it was no longer the, the place I wanted to work and went to contracting. Gotcha. Uh, which then leads us to Airbnb. Uh, Airbnb, uh, how many people have used an Airbnb here? Yeah, pretty, pretty, pretty crazy. It's, it's, it's exciting to be able to walk into places and just be able to know your work is being touched by so many people. Uh, it's very awesome. Uh, we were fortunate to actually have Joe when he was, uh, 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 I think, I'm not even sure, maybe a year or two into it, and he had described sort of his experience trying to get it off the ground. Uh, he's the, uh, uh, a big character and, and has a lot of interesting things to say, I'm sure. Uh, I'd be curious to be in rooms with you guys because you're both big personalities and can carry uh, rooms. Uh, you know, I'm curious to, to, to maybe know maybe how, as, as you've heard stories of what it was when it first started to where it is now, some of your experiences of what you see different when you have to serve this many people as opposed to just figuring out person by person what's going to work for a, a company. And, and then maybe even talk about Joe. What, like that experience is working with the CEO that is a designer. Is he the CEO or is he the CPO? CPO now, okay. Uh, or as a founder, it has such a, a passion for design as yeah. well. You know, I'm guessing there's some, some awesome stuff of that and, and more challenging things. Oh, definitely. Bit, so. Yeah, and there's two of them. It's, so it's Joe is the CPO, one of the founders, and also Brian, also a designer and one of the founders who's the CEO. So we have two designers that founded the company, and actually we have three uh, designers in the executive team all, all in, all in uh, which is definitely an amazing thing. And it is, uh, I think, fortunate for design to have you know, that kind of foothold already. And it definitely, you know, if you even visit our space, you can tell that like, design kind of permeates in all that we do. Uh, but of course, there's also challenges where, I mean, if your designers in the room, you probably know, you know, our, our hard part about life, which is nothing is ever good enough for a designer. <laughs> you know, you can always design some way to make it better. Uh, and so, similarly with you know our design leaders, you know, we're always trying to push the mark a little bit further. Um, always try to do more. Always try to you know solve yet another problem. Uh, which I think keeps us all on our toes and is exhilarating. But it definitely makes it a tad bit more challenging. Uh, so in terms of the transition, so uh, from you know, being a small early stage company to now being quite a large company um, around the world, uh, you know, I've heard a lot of stories about the beginning days there. I've only been there two, and a, two, years, two years and a couple months. Uh, in the early stages, you know, they were working in the apartment. You know, they had a big team in Joe and Brian's apartment, so they'd wake up in their socks and sweatpants and come on over to the computer. Uh, <laughs> Did they still do that? Uh, thankfully, no. <laughs> we, we've got a little bit further now, but um, yeah, they, uh, you know, and it was very much like a family vibe. Um, and I think that beginning um, has informed, you know, where we are today in terms of our culture. Um, I think Joe and Brian have done an excellent job of maintaining that kind of like family culture, even now we're, you know, almost 3,000 people. 
but so there's you know things that we do in terms of like you know happy hours and get-togethers and you know shareouts and learnings that uh, I think came from that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in terms of the scale of the company and the challenges, oh man, I mean it's exponential. Uh, even in the two years that I've been there, my team is more than quadrupled, uh, and you know it's, it was ten when I started. It's now sixty, and I just don't know the word for. Uh, time to get my six. <laughs> if you're wondering why. Uh, uh, math isn't one of her yeah. <laughs> What is it when you times it by six? Is that quadrupled? What is it? Is it tuppled? I don't know. Yes. Sounds right. Sounds right. Not, not quite as, as sexy. <laughs> quadruple works for me. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, write me later if you know it. Uh, so. Good thing she didn't build any architectural structures. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Indeed, indeed. So yeah, as we've grown, you know, the challenges just increase, right? You know, the more people involved, the more complexity, and that's you know internally in our teams, but it's also, of course, externally. Uh, you know, so we're serving more people all around the world, and you know, our job is to try to help somebody from you know Sao Paulo feel at home in Shanghai, and they speak different languages, and they might have different you know cultures behind it. They might use different forms of payment, and we're trying to address all of those different models while you know helping you know a human to human connection. Uh, so yes, the, the complexity increases, and meanwhile, on the internal side, you know, we have a bigger team that we're trying to maintain communication between. We're trying to ensure that quality is high. Um, I mean, you guys know so well because you build tools that you know help teams you know, maintain that quality at scale. Uh, you know, we you know try to make sure that you know, 60 designers are designing in the same design language at the same quality, uh, making sure they're using the right assets, and you know they all have the same margins on the side. You know, that actually takes a, a lot of work, um, and it requires building like, the processes and the standards to do so. Um, and in fact, that's you know, a large part of what my job is now is not necessarily designing the product, but designing the team and the way that we do that. Right. Um, I think it's kind of interesting to see that progression. And the reason why I had asked about the venture stuff and, and your freelance stuff is, as a designer, you, you've worked in different capacities for uh, different organizations. And so um, you know, perhaps maybe give us some insight in your experience as a designer working at like a Fortune 50 type organization and sort of responsibilities that you see designers doing and yeah. maybe as a freelancer or working in a startup and then sort of in your capacity now maybe highlighting some of the differences between the two so that I know lots of people are coming from different backgrounds but I think there's a wide range of sort of responsibilities designers take on when they're doing work. Oh, yeah. I feel like this is like the age-old debate. I mean, I remember coming out of design school. It's like, do you go consultancy or in-house? Consultancy, you get to do it different things. In-house, it's all one all the time. And I feel like that's not quite true now that I've experienced it. Uh, at Frog, I would say you know, the benefits of working in a consultancy is, yes, you do get to work on different things. You do get to work with different companies. Um, it is a great opportunity for somebody trying to build out their portfolio and also trying to explore, what am I interested in? Do I like designing on mobile? Do I like designing um, you know, Internet of Things objects? Do I like uh, print? Uh, you can have uh, exposure to a wide range of things at a consultancy, of course. Uh, you also get to play at different kind of levels of Zoom. Um, and of course, it depends on the consultancy. Uh, but for something like Frog, we were, you know, in many cases, a strategy firm. So we were working at early stages in the design process and the product development process, trying to help companies you know, understand what avenues exist for them and understand you know, what problems they had. Um, and so as consultants, we basically you know, get to come in and, and talk at a pretty high level and make pretty decks that talk about you know, big ideas. Uh, which is exhilarating and in many cases a great thing if that's what you want. 
the negatives of that, of course, is that you know you walk in there with your big presentation and like you should do this, like this is where you should turn your oil tanker to this amazing thing over here, um, and then you go home and they are sitting there with your deck wondering how they're going to do it, um, realizing that you know something else over here just changed for them and now they no longer can get the resources. You know things come up. There are reasons why they didn't fulfill our biggest dreams for them. Not that they didn't want to, not that the work wasn't good, but of course you know at the end of the day you have certain challenges internally. And so you know, I felt, and others do, and that I've worked with in the past, that at a certain point at a consultancy, you, know, you might be looking to uh, be able to be there for a little bit more lasting power to uh, actually see something through. Um, and that was the transition that I had, that I wanted to go to early stage companies where you know, it could have a little bit more impact, and then eventually in-house where you know, see it through. Um, I remember one of my kind of favorite moments at early days at Airbnb is we're all in the war room talking about what we were going to ship and a realization that, oh, we can't ship what we really want. I mean, we can't ship the big idea. We have to pull it back a little bit and, and ship an MVP. And you know, that would have been the moment as a consultant, like, ah, damn it, like, they're never going to do it. <laughs> but it was a great moment for us because it's like, well, then it's on us to do it. Like, we have the power to do it. We're here, we're gonna be here, you know, three months from now, and it's on us to make sure we see it through. Um, but of course, you know, there are the negatives of being in-house, um, you know, that like, you do have to see it through. <laughs> Sometimes not everybody wants to do that. Uh, what does that mean for people in the design sphere of seeing it through? You know, that's not sitting in front of a computer, you know, making sure that the pixels are aligned with the, the button. What, what does that mean to people? Yeah, I think you know the see it through part, and sometimes I think people can talk about it in terms of like incremental fixes. Um, but the reality is, is when you ship something, you know, and the, the beauty of digital design is that you can fix it, and you can change it, and you're going to learn that something's you know not quite right about it, and you can edit that. Uh, and it, it's an op opportunity, but it, yes, definitely sometimes folks you know that always want to work on the new um, can be fearful of that. They can be fearful of having to you know fine tune something that they had shipped you know, three weeks ago because they want to be moving on to the next thing. Uh, but the follow through and the, the perfection of it is, you know, is a heightened sense of quality and craft that, you know, I think is, is admirable. Uh, but sometimes, you know, it's hard to see that, you know, benefit of it. Is that, uh, do you think designers struggle with that? Is that something that, you know, designers are used to creating change, right? And they're yeah. used to forcing new things to happen. And that's a skill set that um, you're kind of ingrained with because you're always putting your heart on your sleeve and putting new things out. Is that, do you see that as a, as a challenge for a lot of designers? Is I do, I do. And you know, I think sometimes it can be a little bit more on, dare I say, you know, folks with a little less experience. Um, you know, because, and possibly, you know, there's good reason for it, you know, is that they're looking to build out their portfolio. And, you know, they want to build out their portfolio with 12 different projects, not, you know, one project that they then, you know, did three versions of. Right. Um, but the reality is, especially for those that, you know, have, you know, been experiencing this for a while, understand that, you know, shipping an unfinished product or shipping something that, you know, could be improved and not seeing it through is, you know, is a kind of not a good thing for your portfolio and certainly right. not a good thing for your even esteem at the end of the day like you know we want to be you know putting out a quality product in the world you know so when i see somebody open up airbnb and like something's breaking you know it's like i feel an immense amount of you know guilt for that and you know <laughs> i want to get back and change it <laughs> which we also talked about her love of wine a Did love of wine love yes. of wine yes this is how we get over this no i'm just kidding exactly uh, <laughs> So, um, so now moving over into Airbnb and in that sort of 
uh, migration you had and the challenges of, of running a design organization and being able to support designers. Uh, I know, you know there's, there's a big push for companies over the last decade to, to embrace design as a, a core part of their business. And I think you know, we're still at a place where people are trying to figure out, how do I do this? What's, what's required to do it? And I know your um, company follows a, a, a triad or a, an idea that, that is about bringing um, three groups of, of, of teams together to solve problems at every level of, of the business. So I think people might find that fascinating and interesting to hear sort of your experience and how you keep going with something in those, those groups. Yeah, right. absolutely. You know, I, I think a lot of people often call you know, Airbnb as like design-led uh, you know, because we have two design founders. And for sure, I mean, if you really cut, get down to it, like it is design-founded, and so you can use that term. Uh, but we actually don't uh, strive to be design-led at present. Um, and the, the triad that you're talking about, we actually lovingly call it the Triforce. We have a weird name for everything. Uh, but the Triforce is you know, engineer, product, and designer working together. And of course, you know, that is the, the high-level summary of the group. So you know, within that is data science and user research. Um, but those like, three legs of the stool, we believe should all have you know, an equal voice. Um, and together, that kind of multifaceted approach is where we think great product comes from. Um, and so, you know, some organizations might be a little bit leaning towards engineering or a little you know, leaning towards design, but if these three voices are represented with equal power, uh, we know that we're carefully considering the user experience. We know that we're carefully considering the business goals, and we know that we're carefully considering the feasibility and reliability of the technology. Um, and so at the executive level, that Triforce exists, and down each level down to a junior level. Um, so we make sure that these people are a part of the project essentially from start to finish. And I'll admit that there are times where it's tough because you know by saying that, it's like basically saying that you have three people shouting in an equal voice. Um, luckily, we don't get into too many shouting matches, and usually we work it out. Uh, but there definitely are moments where it comes down to you know a difference of opinion between the product manager, the engineer, and the designer. Uh, and you know we, we have to work it out. Um, and there, you know, oftentimes we, we rely on data or we rely on testing something uh, if we need you know support for a disagreement. Um, but it's often you know who's most passionate about it that might win. Right. Well, that's usually you know, or who's willing to stay in the room the longest yeah. to get their way. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so uh, you know, in thinking about uh, design in that in that way, obviously. You're trying to sort of level the playing field of, of sort of the craft and what comes into making the product. Um, and I've heard you say that design is an intent, or that's sort of your view on, on, on design. How do you influence those other two parts of uh, the Triforce with a philosophy or with an approach? Is that something that's innate, that everyone just knows it, or are you educating people on sort of the third piece of that puzzle uh, on a day-to-day -day basis? Yeah, that's a great question. Because you know, I think part of that like, being three legs of equal stool is that you, know, you also have to all come to the table with you know, a strong point of view and be able to communicate it well. And I think designers have a superpower. We you know, should be inherently great communicators uh, because we can create something to tell that story. Um, you know, we're good at simplifying things. We're good at visualizing things. And so whether or not you build a prototype or you build a uh, storyboard that can bring the idea to life, that's often how you get people around your way of thinking. 
Uh, so we use storyboards a lot at Airbnb to kind of help us all remember the user experience. And so if you're pitching an idea and perhaps people you know, aren't seeing the value in it, you can render it out for them, and you know, almost like a comic strip, and that helps them better understand what the person might be going through, or of course create it as a prototype and let them experience it firsthand. Uh, and that's oftentimes the, the, the most powerful and compelling way to get that voice heard. As a designer, I love it when you start answering my next question. Oh, sorry, <laughs> I do that. It means I've got my questions <laughs> in the right order. So uh, the storyboard idea is uh, fascinating to me because as a designer, we tend to use uh, journey maps and ways of kind of visualizing um, you know, what a customer might going, be going through. Um, in our work, obviously, we, we probably are more coming from the customer's perspective, uh, where businesses are looking to us to sort of illuminate those problems and, and help them see how to capture the, the customer's attention. Uh, what would you say a storyboard, how does it bring out um, the best in people? Or what is it that a storyboard, why not just do a PRD? Or why not send out a Word doc? Or why not, uh, what is it that works in the storyboard that those other mechanisms don't really do? That's a great point. I think you know, it pulls, you know, dare I say, like at the heartstrings. I mean, it pulls out, you have an emotional reaction when you can kind of see the human experience a part of it. Um, and a priority doesn't typically get to that. Uh, <laughs> sure, there's a way you can craft your vision statement to be a little bit more human, but oftentimes, you know, a priority is, um, is pretty tactical in that way. Um, a storyboard, you know, just like a comic strip, you know, you, you better understand the the environment, um, the context, what is happening at the time. I mean, the old saying, a picture tells a thousand words, is true. I mean, you can see so much more about um, what is expected to happen, what is happening for that person at that moment to better understand how that product does or does not work. So for example, for us, um, the, the moment that a guest arrives at a house is a big deal for us, right? That's like where some things can go wrong. Like you, don't, you can't get in, uh, you don't you know, know which door is the right one, or it's not what you expected. But by us drawing a storyboard out and drawing you know, a picture of a person holding a suitcase with their phone in their hand, coming up to the door, it like, takes you there. And you can actually think about all the things that could go wrong in that scenario better by actually seeing it come to life. Um, and we can put that storyboard up on the wall. It's far more aesthetically pleasing than a PRD on the wall. Uh, <laughs> people can walk by it and you know, everybody in the company can be reminded about you know, the experience that we're all partaking and bringing to life. Um, and it's important you know, to show that storyboard from the multiple points of view of the, the host, of the guest, even you know, our internal employees that are helping to provide that. Right. So, and I know you use this up and down the organization. What might a Joe come to the table with and look at? Uh, is he giving detailed, detailed feedback? Is he just looking at the high picture? Or is he into the details as well and something like that? Um, Joe, he's- Or Brian. So yeah, that. both of them are so good at this. They, um, can they, they, they operate at this level of like the higher level of zoom all right the 50,000 foot view and they're informing our vision and where we're going and you know reminding us of the, the basis principles that you know, all of this exists on and you know, the importance of hospitality and hosts uh, but then you know you show them design work and they will come right in and be like the letting is off right there <laughs> <You know? laughs> which is good and bad uh, but you know their design feedback is spot on. I mean, thank goodness that would be the worst if they had those opinions and not. But they have great taste um, and are very good at identifying you know what might be working or what not work. Right. Um, you know, for example, Joe just gave a TED talk on trust, uh, talking about how we use design to build trust between strangers, and uh, you know he's 
oftentimes coming with that lens when we're showing design work and you know reminding us about like, elevating the person in the process. Um, so um, I know you guys did a, a big overhaul, and uh, you know there's a lot of great elements there. And I know a lot of uh, designers like to to break these pieces down and try and understand how they arrived. I know um, you guys have done a lot of video work trying to kind of capture the moments of the design inspiration and trying to share that with people. Um, I'm kind of curious because I, you know, in in talking about how you bring an executive into the decision making and what their ability is to give feedback, um, in the overhaul, what is your role or what are the things that you're doing to elevate the company in that? Because you're managing executives and their expectations and stakeholders and that tri uh, the, um, the other two legs of your stool. And then you have your whole design team too that's you know, looking to you for support on you know, their uh, dog ate their homework, the, you know, they have to go away for all this and you're trying to manage all these pieces. So maybe help people understand a little bit in that process, what are you doing on a regular basis or a day-to-day -day basis uh, to, to bring that site to life? Mm -hmm. And when you're talking about the redesign, is that the rebrand? The rebrand, and you, you did interface work with that. And yeah. I, I mean, you guys did a sort of a ta-da moment. Oh, right? yeah. We yeah. changed every pixel. Right. Uh, and that, that was the first project that I had when I came to Airbnb. And so I, I joined, and they had already done the logo. And like, we want to take you know, this new brand and, and bring it to the product. Uh, and so we were just kicking it off. And they also already knew that they wanted to ship it in four months. Uh, so change every pixel of the app and the website, everything digital we've ever done, everything physical as well. Uh, update it, you know, change all the colors, change the feeling, change the emotion, uh, a lot of change and ship it in four months. Um, and at the time, again, as I mentioned, the team was 10 people. We were also going to be shipping a ton of other things during that process. So I actually had two designers working on the idea of rebrand. Uh, so it was a whole lot of work. And I think you know, if there was you know, a takeaway of what didn't work there, um, that might have been one of the things that was the you know, challenge, is that you know, being understaffed, not actually thinking through like, all of the enormity of the work and making sure that we were you know, utilizing the resources well, um, or that you know, was it a realistic timeline to begin with. Uh, we definitely we got it done, and it worked uh, pretty well. And eventually, we did have quite a few more designers on the team. Can we stop there? Because yeah. as a designer, the word pretty is uh, pretty well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> is uh, usually laced with something in there. What would you say is well, the challenge of the work pretty well? I always wonder, you know, I, like if we had done it differently, would you know people have gotten you know more sleep? Uh, <laughs> would they have uh, you know been a little less stressed out? Um, and I think you know okay. There's always there's ups and downs, you know, and sometimes there's there is joy in having you know like you know this awesome sprint where people are like bunk, hunkered down and they're just trying to like bang out some great work and and they are working late hours, um, so a little of that I you know I, I don't think it's a huge issue, uh, but could we have done a little less of that and had a bit more balance and um, I think also you know I think the thing that I always worry about too is if we're scrambling to get something done are we doing it as high quality as we need to. Um, so one of the learnings for rebrand, for example, is that we were um, changing everything and shipping it right away. That we were, didn't actually take the time to like sit down and plan out our design system and like, okay, a button will always look like this, and the typeface will always look like this, and we're going to record it in some sort of place where people can come back to as a reference. So okay. we were basically like designing our design system as we were implementing it, and we weren't documenting it very well. Um, so that's one of the things that I'm like, oh, I wish we had done differently uh, because you know we paid for it later. 
Uh, we paid for it later when you know the design system started to kind of fracture a little bit because there wasn't really a you know a document that kind of kept it all core. Awesome. So I'm going to do a shout out to Tanya Bashir. She worked here uh, at Zurb and then uh, worked there, and I remember seeing pictures on Instagram of her like sleeping at the office or something. <laughs> so now I know the inside story. <laughs> exactly. She was working on that stuff. Oh, so, yeah. uh, so in the process of trying to document and do the work. This is always the conundrum that uh, designers face is trying to figure out how do you move something forward and also document because there needs to be some artifact that people can see or, or do in this kind of juxtaposition of, of do I do, do I show, do I do, how do I get reactions? Um, and that's, I don't think that ever changes, right? It's just the scale at which you're trying to, to, to accomplish that. So on a day-to-day -day basis, how do you encourage your team to work through those challenges? Are, are you guys heavy document-based? Are you more uh, agile in our approach? Are you doing stand-ups? Are you doing critiques every week? How do, how do you go about getting that feedback and then yeah. documenting it? Oh, it's such a good one. And just yesterday, I was talking to one of the design managers on our team, Keenan Cummings, and he was saying, he's like, you know, I'm, I'm really trying to get the team to you know, work, not document. And uh, what he's doing right now, which I'm so excited about, and I hope it works out well, is that we're, um, you know how like, you, you set up a document to start your project, like a PRD or maybe a design brief, and then you start creating like, all these decks along the way, whether it's internal or for a client, uh, to communicate it. And then eventually you end up with like 12 decks that are all called like final, 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 V5. <laughs> yeah, and you know, it's, it's just, it's, chaos and it's a lot to keep track of and you know the team is spending tons of hours just documenting um, and so what we're tr constantly trying to work on is like how do we reduce that part of the job so that we can focus on like solving the real problems and, and um, actually creating work we know communication of the project is important so we can't let that go but we want to find a way to work and document at the same time and so what we're doing instead now is that using Google Docs and you know shared documents uh, creating a basically a presentation that just builds on itself. And so eventually it's probably going to be a very long presentation, but like the different parts of the project are being seeded into that one document. Um, all the things that would be in a PRD go through that document. So if you need to know like what's happening on such and such project, it's one file with all of the story there. Uh, and that for us I think would be a really exciting way of kind of like keeping track of things and keeping people's work in one place and also allowing it to be a little bit more rough, um, and, but a truer story. Right. So, so basically the way it works is sort of like your bathroom after you go out. You just kind of leave everything out and then you got to clean it back up and then it gets all left out. And then you put it, so. yeah. uh, one last question before we open up to questions. Uh, so being a design leader, obviously you're trying to manage people. You're trying to move the product forward. There's lots of competing agendas. And as a designer, you may not have thought, well, this is what design will be when you grow up, right? There's sort of components there where you have your creation and your background and your experience of making things. What do you do with your time to, to stay creatively energized and sort of the challenges that you face on a day-to-day -day basis? Are there things you do in the business or outside of the business? Yeah, uh, it is a great question. Um, I need more of those things, I think. Um, but what I've been doing, um, what I always you know, kind of get to, and uh, honestly one of the reasons why I love California so much is being outdoors, you know, going out for hikes. We, we just recently got a little puppy and you know, taking the puppy out, like spending all weekend with the dog, just going on walks and, and going to the beach and things, I think is just awesome. Like just being reminded of you know, the world around us. I and mean, we spend so much time in the computer, in the office, 
Um, you know, it's kind of like the last thing I want to do on the weekend. Right. Uh, you know, it's interesting to me that you know by being a designer, I find that like I don't actually design in my own life. Um, but I guess you know the truth in that it's kind of like why a cleaning lady has a messy house. Like, you know, if you do it for your job, you don't want to do it all the time. Right. <laughs> awesome. All right, let's open it up to some questions. Awesome, gentleman in the hat, regular. Yes. Can you talk a little bit about the transition from to Airbnb, where the product is literally changing from physical <coughs> hardware to essentially uh, a user interface? Yeah. All right, so the question was uh, about the transition from Frog to Airbnb. So Frog designs digital and physical things. Airbnb is much of a service, um, but also an interface. Uh, and so uh, I think you know, that transition for me was kind of like, it was the dream job. Because you know, I studied industrial design, and at Frog I was doing, I was working on convergent projects that were both industrial design and digital. Uh, and you know, my interest in the design world and design process often took me to be thinking about you know, the entirety of the journey. Um, and how somebody does traverse the online and offline world in everything that we do. I mean, even if you do design a website, you have to remember there is an offline component. They still need to like sit down and come to that site. Uh, and I think Airbnb was an awesome opportunity to be able to really dive into that because that's all Airbnb is, is thinking about the, you know, traversing the online and offline world. And in fact, that's why we call our team experience designers and not product designers uh, because there is a lot to that experience. And while, yes, you know, at the end of the day, we output pixels, the true ambition and the true thing that we're trying to actually design is that experience that happens between people. Um, and I think the, uh, my background of industrial design digital design, and even some strategy work where um, I spent time with a business consultancy, uh, I think helped to demonstrate my ability to think that way, um, which therefore you know, helped me secure that position with Airbnb. Fucking wrong. Yes. Yeah, um, you touched upon this point that you were um, having two designers out of 10 working for the redesign. So any insight on how were you able to balance the new design versus the business as usual, as usual or paying off design dates? Do you have to some, do some trade-offs or was it focused on this? And any insight on that? Any techniques? That was really challenging uh, because you know, for four months, like, we still had teams shipping things every day. Uh, new experiments, new things that they were trying out in the product. And meanwhile, we had you know, another team basically redesigning everything. Um, and also, all the designers that were working on something in the product, like let's say somebody was uh, working on a new way to show our listing, they had to design it in two design languages because they wanted to ship it to learn like whether, whether or not it's going to work and design it in you know, the new version of the rebrand. Uh, so it was, it was double work. It was a lot of work. And I think you know, it just kind of comes down to like, making sure you're scoping it wisely. Like it's definitely doable. Uh, but kind of like setting up the, like the guardrails of like, all right, what kinds of things are we shipping in the meantime? You know, how do we better utilize our resources knowing that you know, we're going to be designing and building multiple things? Uh, and I think the other piece of that was also keeping it a secret. Like we wanted to you know, flip the switch and have everybody see it for the first time. Uh, so we didn't want things to like seep out. Uh, and you know, honestly, I think, sorry, I'm going to go long on this. Uh, <laughs> there, was, there was a learning from that because we, we started to ship stuff because we wanted to learn whether or not we should do it. So we shipped one thing where on our search results, we normally tell you um, how many reviews a listing has. Um, and you know, is it four star, five star? We wanted to see what it would be like if we didn't have that information. Because from a design perspective, we were trying to like reduce and reduce and reduce what you saw. Uh, our, I'm glad we tested it because we shipped that. 
and our hosts freaked out. Um, and many, many hosts emailed our CEO directly <laughs> to say they were not okay with that. Um, and understandably so, they were not okay with that because basically like, they're like, that's my business. And you know, I have like, you know, 300 reviews and five star rating. I want people to know about that. Um, so I'm glad we tested that before, you know, flipping the switch for the rebrand and be like, look what we did. And then our host be like, no thank you. Uh, so bringing them along with us uh, and making sure that we were like, testing stuff while still working on that bigger picture thing was very important. All right. You were patiently waiting there. How about you? So I was uh, uh, reading an article um, about Airbnb in Cuba or in new countries. When you go to new countries and new cultures, um, I, I wondered how you actually, and the experiences are different, the journey, customer days are different. Could you share some story or some, you know, some, some interesting, in how, what kind of challenges you faced and how you took uh, care of those through yeah, absolutely. Every country you know, brings on new sets of challenges. You know, and sometimes it's like the little things you didn't even think about. Um, so, for example, we you know set a team uh, out over to Korea to learn how people were using our product and realized that people couldn't sign up because we were asking them for their zip code. Like we don't have a zip code. You know, and it's just like that should have been obvious. But you know, sometimes you know it, it is very difficult. Um, to kind of know all of these you know, small and sometimes really large differences uh, between different countries. So it's all about like getting out there, going out there. Um, of course, you know, the more we can have a diverse team that brings different perspectives is imperative, but like we literally need to travel outside of San Francisco to really see it and feel it um, and talk to people. Uh, in Cuba, for instance, it is a definitely a different world. Um, you know, the, uh, actually having Wi-Fi is certainly not reliable. Um, the way that people get paid. Uh, so we've been trying to solve every problem with you know, the unique way that it needs to be solved and recognizing that different markets are different. Um, so now we have actually p people on bicycles uh, giving money uh, to pay the hosts. Uh, you know, and that is definitely not what we have in New York City. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Uh, a couple more questions here. Uh, Dana. Uh, you mentioned the large part of your job right now is uh, designing teams. Can you say more about what that means? And and what you focus on? Yeah, uh, you know, and actually, I guess it goes back to the question of like how I stay like creative. Like, I I love the fact that my job right now is designing a team more so than it is designing a product or a pixels. Like, it's highly complex. Obviously, like people are a little bit more emotional than pixels. Really? <laughs> I hate it when my pixels start arguing with me. Yeah. <laughs> Blue, you belong with red. Get over it. Yes. Yes. Uh, yes, but it, you know, I think that challenge is, is very exciting. You know, but there's a lot of you know the skills of a designer that I think come into play uh, as being a manager and a leader. Uh, so, for example, you know, human-centered design, like absolutely, that should be first and foremost when you're thinking about designing a team. Uh, you want to understand, you know, what are the needs of the folks on the team? Um, you know, how might they be different? You know, one person is not the same as another. Uh, so, you know, I do a lot of like informational interviews or um, ethnographic interviews with people on the team to try to understand how things are going and uh, understand what those needs might be. Uh, of course, you know, collaborating with the team to design what you know should be different is a very important part so as well. So, screaming at people isn't the solution. <laughs> when necessary. <laughs> Uh, and you know, an iterative approach, I think, is also powerful. Uh, we've done a lot of things, you know, for example, just even setting up our crits. Like, who should be in the room? How often should they happen? How do we go about it? We have like, changed that like, 12 times. 
in the last two years. Um, and it's all, you know, oftentimes it needs to change because you know, the size of the team is different um, or you know, it just comes to a point where it's not working. Uh, so as a designer, you know, being a problem solver and always looking for you know, where are the gaps, uh, I think is really important in being a design manager as well and looking at you know, that team in the same way. Um, and yeah, I, does that answer the question? All right, so we are at uh, the end of our session. I'm hopefully you can answer a few questions, but uh, really appreciate everyone coming. The energy was really great. I can feel it up here. Uh, our next soapbox, do we have that, Mr. Daniel, or do I have to keep that in? Oh, true marketer, sign up for the email list. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I know we have a good pipeline of, of speakers and really appreciate uh, Katie spending time with us and uh, I know she'll answer a few questions. If you keep them brief, I'm sure she'll keep her answers brief too. So thank you so much for everybody coming and let's uh, give Katie a <laughs>